Welcome to the Rich Coach Club, the podcast that teaches you how to build your dream coaching practice and how to significantly increase your income. If you're a coach and you're determined to start making more money, this show is for you. I'm Master Certified Life Coach Susan Hyatt, and I'm psyched for you to join me on this journey. This is part two in a special four-part series on women and money. Here we go. Have you seen the TV show called The Fix? It's on Netflix, and I am obsessed. It's a show where two teams of comedians debate and try to fix some of the world's biggest problems, like racism and inequality. And it's a comedy show, but it's also really smart and informative. And during each episode, they have a brilliant data analyst named Moa Chalabi. And Moa comes onto the show to present some troubling data. They did an episode on the gender wage gap. And on that episode, Moa shared some really shocking data about men, women, race, and wealth. Listen to this. When an American white man reaches age 64, on average, he will have earned $2 million over the course of his entire career. Again, white American man, $2 million by age 64. Now, if you're a Hispanic man, then you'll need to keep working until the age 83 until you've earned that same amount. A black man, 85. An Asian or white woman, age 93. A black woman, age 105. Hispanic woman, age 118. Whoa. After hearing this data, one of the comedians on The Fix pointed out, uh, basically, if you're a woman, you need to keep working even after you're dead just to earn the same amount that a white man typically earns by age 65 when he retires. Now, these numbers illuminate how the gender wage gap impacts all of our lives. When you consider, damn, I'm working just as hard as a white man, but he gets to retire comfortably at age 64. And meanwhile, if I want to earn the same amount, then I have to keep working until I'm 93 or until I'm 118. Hell no. Uh Uh-uh. That's so unfair. So how do we change this? Well, obviously, there's a lot to discuss, and we'll cover some important ideas in this four-part series. But on today's episode, we're going to be talking with Mary Houston. She has some wisdom that y'all need to hear. So listen to this episode and send this episode to five women you love, your mom, your aunt, your daughter, your friends. Spread the info. Empower your sisters to make different financial choices and get paid what they deserve because none of us should have to keep working until we're 118 years old. As always, we're starting with a segment that I call your two-minute pep talk. This is the part of the show where I share some motivation and encouragement to get your week started off right. And I try to keep things to two minutes or less. When I'm talking to coaches, one topic that almost always comes up is the issue of pricing. Women always want to know, what should I charge for an hour of coaching? How much is right? How much is too much? What about a six-week coaching program? How much should I charge for that? What are other people charging for similar programs? Am I really qualified enough to charge $200 an hour? I mean, I only have a master's degree, a PhD, and two coaching certifications, and so on. I've seen women agonize about pricing for hours and hours, tying their brains into knots of stress. 
And so many women worry that they're charging too much or wish they could charge more, but they're nervous about raising their prices. To break you out of that worry loop, here's something to try. Get a calculator. There's probably a calculator app on your phone. And let's do some simple math together. Instead of asking, is it okay to raise my rates? Will anyone hire me if I ask for more money? I want you to start asking a different question. Instead, ask yourself, what would be the cumulative impact over time if I raise my rates right now? See, when you increase your rates, even by just a little bit, this increase accumulates over time and leads to big things. For example, let's say you decide to raise your current hourly rate by $2 an hour. Just $2 per hour, such a small amount. Your clients probably won't even notice or care about this teeny tiny increase. And let's say you typically work 30 hours a week, 48 weeks a year because you take four weeks of vacation time. With that $2 increase, you're now generating an extra $2,880 per year. And if you intend to keep working as a coach for the next 30 years until you retire, that's $86,400. And let's say you put that into a savings account with a 2% interest rate. Now your money pile has grown to $88,128. What would you do with an extra eighty-eight k? You could buy your mom a really nice, safe car. You could make a down payment on a house. You could book a trip on one of those luxurious round-the-world cruise ships where you sail around the world in 100 days. You could become a philanthropist and build 11 clean water wells in Africa, saving thousands of lives. You get the idea. Okay, in this example, we're not subtracting the money you'd pay in taxes, which can vary a lot depending on where you live and how much other income you make but you get what I'm saying. My point is increasing what you're earning, even by the tiniest little bit, can accumulate and add up to major things over time. So now imagine if you've increased your hourly rate by 10 bucks an hour, not just $2 an hour. Wow. Now you're earning an extra $440,000 over the course of your career. Here in Evansville, Indiana, where I live, the median home price is about $130,000. So that's like three and a half houses. Bam. Would you like to own three or four more houses, rental properties, vacation homes, buy a house for grandma? Would you like to significantly change your life and your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives too? Would you like to buy your mom a new car and pay in cash like my friend Robert Hartwell recently did? Would you like to send your kids to college and Have them graduate debt-free. If these are the kinds of experiences you value, if these things matter to you, then raising your pricing by a dollar or $10 or $100 an hour should feel like a no-brainer to you. Do it. Do it now. The sooner you find the courage to charge more, the sooner you start reaping the rewards. And over the long term, over the course of many decades, your whole career, the rewards are huge. Now we're moving into the part of the show where I give shout outs to you. Shout outs to listeners, clients, all the wonderful people in my business community. And today I want to give a shout out to someone who calls themselves Need Help in Texas. (laughs) Need Help in Texas left me a five star review on iTunes and she entitled it Convert from Skeptic to Raving Fan. 
I can do it all by myself, said my 38-year-old self, channeling my three-year-old self. Bottom line, we can't do life alone. Susan's podcast and Facebook communities are my first step towards being humble enough to admit I need help. What a welcoming podcast. What a welcoming place and person to get help from. I am also listening to her Bear podcast. Ah, thank you so much, Need Help in Texas. And for any of the rest of you who feel like you have something amazing to say about this show, send an email to my team or post a five-star iTunes review, and you might hear your name on a future episode. I love giving shout-outs to people in my community, so holla at me. Thank you for the love. I love you right back. It's time for an interview. And earlier in this episode, I pointed out that raising your pricing, even by something ridiculously tiny, like $2 an hour or $10 or $20 an hour, can lead to big things over time. So just imagine the wealth you can create if you get into some serious price increases and deliver value that matches. Earning more is very, very important. But when it comes to building wealth, earning more is just one part of the picture. There are other parts too, like smart financial planning, understanding which tax breaks are legal and available to you, investing, and more. But in order to be in the right mindset to do any of that, I work with women all the time on their money blocks. And my special guest today, Mary Houston, has a really interesting take on your money block blueprint and getting to the root of your money shame. She's about to haul our asses to money shame school, and I am so here for it. Welcome to the show, Mary Houston. I am so delighted to be here. So Mary, um, many of you may have witnessed her genius um, on a webinar of mine before, or she was actually recently featured just two episodes ago um, when I was talking to clients who had experienced Clear Coaches Select. And one of the things that has emerged for me in admiration for Mary is just the keen insight she has on helping women with money. And We've had many, many conversations about money and and you can go check out, you know, two episodes ago where Mary is talking about really how she went from zero money, you know, spending her rent money on bettering herself to now creating a whole new life for, for herself and her son. And so in our conversations about money, what's fascinating to me is that the conversation that Mary has around money includes understanding the difference between money blocks and money shame. And I think many of you listening have enjoyed some of the conversations we've had on this show about money blocks. And I I can't tell you, Mary, how often I hear from clients in a session, they're like, oh, it's just my money block. And I think people like carry around their money blocks like they're little trophies or something. And so <laughs> I know I know you have a lot to say about this, but what like what is a money block and how is that different than money shame? Yeah, that's such a great question, Susan. And um, thank you for asking it because it really is uh, the part of my work that I'm so passionate about because most women don't know. We all understand money blocks. And this is um, what I was doing for so many years, just working on my money blocks and couldn't understand why I wasn't getting anywhere because I was dealing with my money blocks. And so for me anyway, in the way that I work and the way I teach it, a money block 
is like a limiting belief, a story that you have that uh, is basically where we make money wrong. So an example would be money doesn't grow on trees. Money doesn't come easy. Spiritual people don't make money. Money is hard work. You know, so it's where we're talking about making money the bad guy, whereas money shame is very different. Money shame is where we make ourselves wrong in relation to money. So we would say things like, I'm bad at handling money. I'm bad at making money. I'm useless with money. I can't charge that much. I don't deserve like that kind of income. So that's the really significant difference. And the reason why this is important is because how we work with as coaches and with our clients with money blocks versus money shame is totally different. And so it's really important to distinguish the difference between the two so that then we can help our clients more specifically and they can then actually start to make more money because if really the issue is money shame, but you're treating the issue like a money block, you're going to be doing all of the affirmation work, you're going to be doing some tapping, you're going to be doing positive self-talk, you're going to be doing inner critic work, and none of that is really going to get to addressing the money shame issue, which is why women don't make progress. Mm. So let me ask you this. When you're working with a client and they uncover well, let me ask you this. What's the most common block and thought creating shame with women and money that you've observed? I think the the most common money block that I encounter in the women that I've worked with is spiritual people don't make money or helping people doesn't earn. It's wrong to charge money for helping people, especially in our um, line of work. You know, when we're helping, we're coaches, we're healers, you know, we're in the personal development industry. And so we kind of have that block that making money out of helping people is is wrong. You know, so that's kind of the most common money block, whereas the most common money shame that I encounter would be probably well, one of two. They would probably have to be equal. It would be I have to earn this or I can't afford it. So those are the two where we really personalize it and that I have to work hard to earn this money or I, I just don't deserve this. And so when you think about I don't deserve it, because this is such an interesting one that I've observed as well, because the, the flip side of that um, that I also observe is I deserve it, which is like when people are spending or eating or drinking or whatever it might be in an unhealthy way. <laughs> um, yeah. Mine was always I deserve it like the opposite. <laughs> I'm treating myself um, yeah. whether I should be doing it or not. Right. And so but but tons of women have the I don't deserve it. And where do you think that comes from? I think that, uh, well, certainly for me, what I've observed anyway, and I mean, and, and this really gets wrapped up in in our entire money blueprint. So it's it's not a kind of easy um, one uh, one answer sort of um, solution um, because it's multi layering. So the way when I when I'm working with a woman and we're looking at 
her money shame and her money blocks and why she's not making the money that she wants to be making, we look at it on this three-level process. So we look at it from the sort of superficial intellectual level, which is where all of this societal conditioning comes in, which is the first point of feed into our, you know, intellect with with regards to money culture, you know, just like with you with, you know, bare nation and diet culture, there is a money culture as well. And it's society is just full of money messages that are there on that superficial level. And then we drop down into the emotional level. And then that's when we start to go into more of the money blocks and more of the familial stories. So um, who I am, who raised me, where I grew up and everything that they taught me about money sort of sits beneath. That's the next level. And so that adds another layer to this. I don't deserve this. They may well have seen and observed, especially their sort of matriarchal figures, their mother, their grandmother, their aunts, the women around them, and how they were treated around money, what they thought of money, the kinds of incomes that they earned, whether their mother was working or not. And then the final layer is this energetic level of money history. And so then we have to include our ancestral um, lineage, our historical and cultural money story, and then the collective money story. And I think this is also one that's really overlooked is this idea that we are largely unconsciously taking on other people's beliefs and shames, especially as coaches, you know, we, you know, a woman will come to you and say, oh, I don't know what to charge. What should I be charging? And women will ask anyone and everyone, how much should I be charging? They'll look at other coaches and they'll tally up and make an average. And actually, this is where my first massive money block came from, because one of my first coaches told me that I was charging too much for my relative experience. And my first year in business, I made a great amount of money. And I was I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect. This is my dream. And then I worked with a coach and they were like, really, you're charging that already? And I was like, oh, should I not be? And then the next two years was complete. My God, Mary, I want to (laughs) slap that coach in the face. Y'all heard me. If I hear y'all telling your clients they're charging too much, I'm going to kick you in the cooter. Yes, I just said hashtag cooter kick. What? Your coach told you and you were already getting it that you were charging too much. Like I've been, let me just back up and say, I've been like mesmerized by Mary talking about this blueprint because it's amazing. And then all of a sudden I'm jerked back into the present. (laughs) Like, wait a minute, (laughs) wait a mofo minute. So, all right, I'm going to take a deep breath and then say, yeah, yeah. Like you can't, coaches, we, we all have done this where we poll everyone you know, like, what should I be charging? Or you ask people, and it's okay to do research. But what Mary's saying is so true, we can take on other people's limiting beliefs about money. And obviously, this particular coach hadn't successfully charged that much and thought, therefore, this newer coach, how dare she, um, on some level, you know, and so and, but, and this is where the money shame comes into it, though, Susan, as well, because, and we've had this conversation before, um, is that the worst people at shaming women are women. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there is this there is this competitive edge that it there's not enough pie for everyone. And if you're getting that bigger slice, well, then that means there's less for me, you know, which comes down to this fundamental scarcity thinking that the money's going to run out, that there's not enough to go round, and that I have to stick my elbows out and put my head down and go in and fight my way to win this game, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm laughing because I like, I'm picturing I'm such an elbows <laughs> out, you know, like I'm scrappy do. Um, but you know what? Like, I think that it's really interesting in terms of the shame factor for women and money. I was just talking to another rich coach club coach right before this, um, Dr. Missy Bird, and she was talking about how I was asking her questions. She helps women get elected. She coaches women who are running for office. And I was asking her what some when she's working with a woman who's running for office Does she ever get the sense based on their mindset, like who's definitely going to get elected and who's not? Like, what are the telltale signs? And she was basically saying, hands down, if they're not willing to ask for money, they're never getting elected because you have to be able to fundraise. And men tend to have zero trouble picking up the phone and asking their buddies or corporations or whoever to donate to their campaign. But women have a lot of shame around it. Yeah. And that's because, you know, fundamentally, you know, women base their their net worth on their self-worth. And so when a woman has low self-worth and low self-esteem, asking for money is the hardest thing. Because if she has any degree of any element of I'm not worth it, if she looks in the mirror in the morning and there is any sense of dislike and distrust and body shame and self-loathing and and, well show me a woman who doesn't have an element of that or who hasn't in their life asking for money is the hardest thing and this is why so many coaches go broke you know because and this is why I'm so passionate about wanting to talk about money shame because money block work is so prolific and there are so many incredible people doing incredible work around it but when it comes to money shame it's like you can hear a pin drop all of a sudden nobody wants to talk about it and shame is bad enough but money shame it's like the double whammy isn't it yeah it totally is and so Let's talk about your blueprint some more. So you talked about there's the surface level, then the emotional level. What are some of the elements or pieces of this blueprint that you help people walk through? Most people are kind of just functioning at that superficial intellectual level. So they they might be aware of their money blocks. They're aware of the stories around them. They're aware of how much they want and how much they need and how much they're not getting. You know, the, they're aware of this consumerism um, world that is surrounding them and how important money is and then on that deeper emotional level some people uh, and most people are like now more aware of of their family history and with the uh, the money block awareness like some the some of the money stories that they would have grown up with you know somebody said to me the other day I was doing a Facebook live and they were like leaping practically off the screen going yes yes that's me money doesn't grow on trees and you know that things don't come easy and all of these stories that we heard when we were growing up 
but it's this deeper energetic level, particularly with our ancestral and our historical and cultural money stories where a lot of people don't know to go. Um, like, for example, I had a client who was, uh, she just couldn't do less. You know, she was trying to uh, build her business around looking after her daughter and not wanting to work full time. She'd left corporate, started her own business, but she couldn't not still clock up that 30, 40 hours, even though she didn't need to. She was still telling herself this money story that she had to work hard. And it was only when we went down into her energetic blueprint and that we went back through her history, which her grandparents, her great grandparents were war survivors, you know. And so this this energetic story had been passed through that was one of real survival and having to really work hard in order to get anything and to earn respect, you know. And when we got to it on that energetic level and we realized it had been passed through, it suddenly made so much sense to her as to why it was just ingrained in her that she had to behave this way, even though it wasn't matching her values and her ideals now in the present day. And so it's such important work. And most women will, they will touch on one or two of the layers, but never all three. So whenever I work with a woman, they might, if they're really woo and really intuitive and really alternative, they'll have the energetic stuff and all the ancestral past life stuff down to a T, but they'll be completely oblivious to like the societal consumerism and collective money story. Or a woman will be really, really on board with the money culture and the modern day stories that they're receiving through social media and through marketing, but they'll have no idea what her great, great grandmother thought about money and how that's now affecting her own ability to make money and show up in the world so Mm. by bringing all three together it gives you this complete blueprint and then you can completely rewrite the story because you've got all the information finally well this is what's compelling to me about it because so for anyone listening you know you can listen to how mary's describing this and probably identify like oh yeah i've got that piece of the surface level done or or maybe two of the three but Three of the three, probably not. And it's really interesting to think about how I was talking with, in the previous episode, I was talking with a lovely woman. You're going to love her, Mary. That episode comes out Monday. Um, Her name's Emily Millsap, and she's local to me, and she's a financial planner, but she's also getting a certification in being a um, financial therapy advisor. I think is what she calls Ooh. it. Yeah, really interesting and compelling. And she was talking about what she has noticed has shifted and changed when people come to her is that people have these expectations of living like the Kardashians today mm. that really didn't exist before, you know? Yeah. And so it's like interesting how culturally, like the collective story has shifted so dramatically to the point that you know, people are taking on more and more debt to sort of keep up with this lifestyle that may or may not be. I don't like to use the word realistic because we're all like, I never thought I'd be living the lifestyle I'm living. So I don't want to put ideas in people's heads that they can't, you know, be on an episode of Bonkers Closets if that's <laughs> if that's something they want to have happen. Right. But I think that the collective story has shifted 
from one of more frugality to one of like, you know, being Instagrammable to the point of debt, you know, and understanding that and understanding, like you said, the stories from your parents and previous generations and how that is still affecting you today. It is fascinating. Yeah. And it's so significant. And even just what you were talking about with the, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians and, and how people have kind of become gone the other extreme and got a bit obsessed with really dreaming and insisting that they can have this life too. And ultimately, the origin of that is in money shame. Because when we have unmet money shame, we go into this state of self-denial because we don't want to be disappointed and we don't want to be shamed again. And so we actually deny ourselves the truth of what we want. But then the flip kind of happens when we go to the opposite extreme and we go into overdrive of fantasy living, you know, because we're in such a state of numbing and self-denial that we flip into this fantasy world where, oh, I could have that. You know, it's like you said at the right at the very beginning, you found yourself saying, I can have that and I can deserve that. And when women start to go into that fantasy demanding level, it's it's never true because it's almost complete lip service. And this is what I find with so many people as well. They'll come to me and they'll say, I've got the vision board and I cut out all the pictures from the magazines and this fantasy world for them exists on such an extreme level, but it's so far removed from their own true desires because they don't know how to access that anymore because they've numbed themselves from it so deeply that then this, we talk in in sort of money terms of energetic congruence and the, the fastest way, it's come a bit of a standing joke how fast I can manifest something now, but the, the way that you manifest something fast is to be in perfect alignment with something, to be in perfect congruence with something. But what's happening for a lot of women is that these fantasy daydream worlds that we're creating because we're so numbed out on the other end of the spectrum is that they're so far removed from the truth of who we are. They're not in congruence with, you know, what we really, really are meant to be here for in this life and living our purpose. And so we can never create it. Right. It's such a good point in terms of understanding how being in alignment works and how some of the techniques you may be trying may be furthering your money shame and furthering your disconnect from what it is that you want. You know, it's like, darn it, I made that vision board. Why hasn't it happened yet? Yeah. And then we then we end up going into more shame and more self-punishment because we're like, well, clearly there's something wrong with me. Clearly I don't deserve this. Otherwise it, it would have happened by now. And then the cycle just we dig ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into this root of money shame. So fascinating. So when you work with a woman to walk her through this blueprint and then help her start to heal her money story, talk a little bit about some of the surprising results people have gotten. Oh, well, and this is the fun part, isn't it? When we celebrate our own our own clients, um, you know, I so the, my clients, uh, the ones that I'm working with at the moment and in the last year, you know, they are making 
10k weeks they are literally taking days off to go to the spa and turning their phone back on at the end of the day and they've got like three new client requests you know they are working they've gone from working 50 60 hours a week down to 10 15 20 hours a week Mm -hmm. um they are tripling their income on less hours they are having better relationships with their partners and having more intimacy and having better relationships with their children because they're not going to bed worrying about money every Mm -hmm. night. You know, we bookend our day in scarcity. We go to bed worrying that we didn't do all the things and then and all the bills we've got to pay. And then we wake up in the morning and we go, I didn't have enough sleep. And our days are bookend with not enoughness, Mm. you know, and it takes so much damn energy, Susan, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It's exhausting, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. trying to live this state of not enoughness. So when you can heal that, you suddenly have so much more energy and space and vitality, not just to make more money, but to actually start living a beautiful life, you know, and money, earning money. And spending money should be easy and joyful and it should be exciting and it should be all the things. It shouldn't be hard and it definitely shouldn't be shame inducing. Mm, I love how you said that. It's so true. And it's people often ask me like, well, how do you have so much energy and how do you? And honestly, it's um, I correlate the work that I do with Bear and helping end food and body shame with my ability to make more money. And it's so interesting how I was just speaking at a local rotary group yesterday. And, you know, these are mostly older men, older white men in this audience. So I like rewrote my talk multiple times (laughs) um, to try to. to, And I said, you know what, I'm going to go in with the, um, you know, do you know a young girl that you care about? Like, do you have a daughter, a granddaughter, a niece? And that kind of got their attention. And then I went to what they're all concerned about, which is the local economy, right? Like any Rotary Club, most of their guest speakers, you know, they're talking about the local economy and forecasting that and how can we improve it. And I was like, listen, the fastest way to boost this economy is to empower girls and women because girls and women, you know, spend 80% of consumer dollars. And the fastest way to empower girls and women is to help them get off the diet train. And they were like, what? Like that kind of got their attention. Like, oh, there might be something in this for us to not oppress Mm. the other sex. Um, But when you think about money blocks, money shames, or money shame that women hold, I think that it's like diet culture permeates every aspect of a woman's life. And that whole like not deserving and shame around women are taught to be so concerned with their appearance that then they're also taught and you're also not good with money. So like stay pretty because you don't know what you're doing over here. Absolutely. Right. And I love the work that you're doing to help women go through this blueprint, heal their money shame and, and make money in an effortless way, not effortless because there's some effort, right? But you guys get what I mean. And without drama, But that's it. But it's a different effort, isn't it? It's an effort that is energizing and life giving, you know, but rather than it being an effort that is draining you and exhausting you and just feels like you're swimming upstream. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So if people want to learn more about this, Mary, tell us where they can find you. Of course, we're going to put all kinds of details in the show notes, but where can people find you? Uh, The most active place I am right now is on Facebook and very busy just building that community and giving out lots of free resources and teaching and opportunities to my community to do the work if they can't invest and then also, you know, do deeper work if they can invest on working with me. So there's something for everyone. So that's um, on my Facebook business page, which is at the Mary Houston. The Mary Houston. The Mary Houston. Awesome. Mary, thank you so much for your time today. Susan, thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure. Before we wrap things up, I have one more resource I want to recommend for you, and it's a movement called Hashtag Pay Me Too. As I'm sure you remember, a few years ago, the hashtag Me Too movement exploded on social media. Women around the world found the courage to tell their stories about rape, sexual assault, catcalling on the street, and inappropriate sexual conduct in the workplace. Women started using the hashtag Me Too to let their sisters know, it's not just you experiencing this, it's Me Too, it's all of us. Thanks in part to this viral hashtag, men like Harvey Weinstein, finally got called out for their grotesque behavior and are finally being brought to justice. This doesn't mean the issue of sexual assault is fixed, but we've made some progress. And when enough people come forth and start talking about something that's not right, eventually things reach a tipping voice and things start to change. And now there's a new hashtag in town, hashtag pay me to. This hashtag was started in the United Kingdom, a country where the average woman earns significantly less than the average man, just like here in the U.S. And the creators of hashtag PayMeToo are encouraging women to go to their site, paymeto.com, to anonymously report unfair salary information through a survey on their website. They're also encouraging women to take action in other ways, like talk to your coworkers about pay and find out what they earn. Talk to your manager and ask to see your employer's action plan to address the gender pay gap in your workplace. And of course, it's always incredibly powerful to share personal stories about money, like a story about a time when you undercharged for your services, a story about being unfairly underpaid, a story about being treated rudely by a banker or financial planner because you are a woman. That has happened to me numerous times. If you post a personal story on social media or your blog or newsletter anywhere, you'll inspire other women to come forth and share their stories too. Most women are terrified to talk about money publicly and shy away from doing this, but this is part of the reason why we're under-earning. If we can't start talking about money openly, honestly, then we can't fix the problem. So ladies, let's start talking. Hashtag pay me too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This episode was part two in a special four-part series on women and money, so be sure to come back next week for the next installment. And here's my call to action for you. Grab a calculator and do the assignment I mentioned earlier. Look at your currently hourly rate or income, whatever you're currently earning as a coach, and then do some math. Calculate how much more you could be earning if you increased your rate by just a little bit, say, two bucks, 15 bucks, maybe a 10 or 15% 
price increase. Play around with the numbers. Go big. Make big increases if you can get there. See how much money that would be over the course of the next 20 or 30 years. It's probably a big-ass number. Now, seeing that big number might motivate you to make some changes right now because there's a lot of important things you could do with that money, like buy a house or three or four houses or start your own college scholarship fund to support the next generation of women. What you gonna do with all that cash? Because I hope I've inspired you to log into your website and update your coaching services page and increase your pricing today. All right, thank you so much for listening to Susan Hyatt's Rich Coach Club. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to shyatt.com forward slash rich, where you'll find a free worksheet with audio called Three Things You Can Do Right Now to Get More Clients. You can download the worksheet and the audio, print it out. There's a fun checklist for you to check off. Just three things to do. Check, check, checkity, check. This worksheet makes finding clients feel so much simpler and not so scary. So head to shyatt.com forward slash rich to get that worksheet. Over there, you're also going to find a free Facebook group you can join, especially for coaches. Bring your coaching practice and your income to the next level at shyatt.com. That's S-H-Y-A-T-T dot com. See you next week.